Well, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Merry Christmas to you. Very good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be focusing this morning on verses 8 through 14, but we're actually going to start reading just in verse 1, um, Luke 2 verse 1, and then we'll really focus in on verses 8 through 14. Uh, during this Advent season, uh, here in December, I've been doing a little bit of an Advent sermon series, just taking one text every Sunday, one biblical text that was looking forward to the first Advent or arrival of Jesus on this earth. We started uh, at the beginning of December, way back at Genesis chapter uh, 3, where God promised he would send a future seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. We then moved up in time just a little bit to Genesis 22. God's promise there to provide a future sacrifice, uh, a future lamb for a sacrifice. And last Sunday, we then moved up in time again to Isaiah chapter 4. God's promise there to send a future shepherd king. So three verses now, three passages have all looked forward to the first advent or arrival of Christ. And today now on Christmas Eve, we're moving forward in time once again, all the way to the birth of Christ here in Luke chapter 2. Let's go ahead and pray before we read. Well, Father, we just thank you for every opportunity to open your word Father, we just acknowledge that uh, we, we can't by ourselves find anything uh, good in this uh, word. Father, this is a book that you have breathed out. Uh, your scripture says you've, you've inspired it, you've breathed it out for our good, and the God who breathed it out must also open our hearts to see great things in it. So we just look to you, Father, here on this Christmas Eve. We thank you for what this day stands for, for what we're celebrating now. And Father, as we look at a passage here that will be familiar to many in this room, I just ask, Father, that you would help us to read this text with new eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Those of you who've had children, you know how it goes when you have a baby. You have to send out a birth announcement. Uh, those of you who have kids, you know you have to do that. Molly and I lived down south for a while, and it is a cultural must uh, in Mississippi to send out a birth announcement. You will be evicted from Mississippi if you do not. Uh, and you know how it goes, the birth announcement, born to Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, October 4th, baby girl, seven pounds, however long this baby was. You have to put a beautiful picture of your baby, and you send it out. It, it actually can be fairly miserable to produce that thing. Uh, you, you know, mama hasn't slept in like three weeks. Uh, dad's just trying to make sure the kids don't starve and that they've actually bathed once over the last six months. Uh, but you somehow create this birth announcement and it does get easier with each kid, not because you get better at producing this thing, but simply because with multiple kids now, you just don't care as much. I mean, man, the first child, it's this beautiful thing on this gorgeous paper, send it out to all your relatives and your first kid you throw it on Facebook yes we had another one and there it is your birth announcement and and what we find here in Luke chapter 2 is essentially a birth announcement from God himself announcing through an angel the birth of his only son there are three main parts of this passage the appearance the announcement the adoration the first thing here is this appearance of an angel. You know, when we pick the story up there in verse 2, Jesus has, has just been born, born in, in this stable. It was probably just a cave. That's where they kept most of the animals, this cave-like stable. Uh, it was in this tiny backwater town named Bethlehem. And verse 8 says that in that same region around Bethlehem, there was uh, this, this group of shepherds watching over their flock at night. And those shepherds there, you just picture them uh, outside of Bethlehem, all alone on some hillside, the middle of the night, some maybe sleeping while others were watching a guard over these sheep. Well, those people right there are the people God has chosen to receive this birth announcement. And you know how it goes when you have a child, you're going to send out the birth announcement. You've got to come up with your list of recipients, this list of friends and family you will send this announcement to. And, and these shepherds are God's chosen recipients for this announcement. Uh, it's pretty stunning when, when you think about it that God would choose shepherds for this major announcement because in Israel at this point in time, shepherds were considered to be one of the lowest classes of people. Shepherds, they, they had to spend a lot of time out in the fields. They weren't able to engage in the religious activities within the cities. So they were considered to be ritually unclean. They were also considered by many people to be very dishonest. 
they were very, by and large, untrustworthy. So much so that, that the shepherds' testimonies were not accepted in a court of law. The shepherds in Israel were, were virtually the outcasts. The bottom of the barrel in, in Israeli society at this time. The lowest of the low. And God sovereignly chose here to announce the birth of His only Son to shepherds. And man, we can learn something about God right there. And here it is, I believe. God is a God who loves and pursues the lowly of this earth. He loves and He pursues the weak of this earth. Those who are despised on this earth. The broken. The hopeless. God loves and pursues the poor and the powerless. And thank God He also loves the wealthy and the powerful because by world standards, that would be most of us, the the wealthy and the powerful. But man, listen, God has a huge heart of compassion for the forsaken and the forgotten on this planet. You know, these shepherds here, it's very possible that, that these people here had never been chosen first by anyone for anything. It was like the, 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 the little kid on, on the playground who was always chosen dead last for the kickball teams. But man, these, these overlooked, forgotten, forsaken, insignificant Unimportant shepherds are now chosen first by God to receive the news of His only Son's birth. God exalting the lowly here. God honoring the despised. The last have now become first. And you know the amazing thing about God is that the Scriptures say that God will actually bypass the wealthy and powerful at times and actually go to the poor and powerless. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, Has God not chosen the despised of this earth to put to shame those who are wise and wealthy? And here God has bypassed the wise and wealthy and brought the news of His birth to the despised, the weak, the, the poor, the, the powerless. And God announces this birth to them now through this angel. You've heard this story, many of you, before. Stop and think. Stop and think about this, innate, this angel appearing to these shepherds, this dark hillside outside of Bethlehem. If you look at verse 9 again. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds, and they were filled with great fear. You can just picture it in your mind. It's just one solitary angel who now appears to these shepherds middle of the night. I mean, you think about this shepherd. Do you think it's possible or you think about this angel, do you, do you think it's possible that this angel here just might have experienced a little excitement here? Experienced possibly just a little bit of joy? To be the only angel chosen to go to Bethlehem to announce 
the birth of God's own son. <laughs> hey, listen, we have no idea of knowing what angels feel when, when they carry out God-ordained tasks, but please listen to me. Angels, they're, they're not some cold, unemotional beings. I think that's how we picture them sometimes. Rejoice, for Jesus Christ is born today. That was not this angel. There's no way. No, we see a multitude of angels in just a second praising God. Most likely exploding with joy in God. That's what praise is. It's joy in God. These angels later will just probably explode with joy in God. And I personally think this one angel here probably experienced a measure of joy to be chosen to announce the birth of Christ. I mean, man, you think about it. God has been promising for thousands of years in the Bible that His Son would one day come to earth. And He's now here. God in human flesh. As a little baby. The angels were probably astounded to see that. First Peter says the angels long to look into the gospel. They desire to stare into God's ways. This angel was probably astounded, shocked at the way this had happened. And God now chooses just this angel to announce it. What was that like? You know, at King's College in Cambridge, every year, since early 1900s, maybe late 1800s, at King's College in Cambridge, Every Christmas Eve, they've had this massive Christmas service called the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols. I actually heard it on the radio. I'm driving in uh, this morning. It's a service that covers uh, nine short Bible readings that go from Genesis all the way up to the birth of Christ. It is intermixed with carols sung by this amazing choir is a very, very famous service every Christmas Eve. And at the beginning of the service, one little boy from the choir sings all alone with this incredible soprano voice once in David's royal city. It's amazing to hear it. I couldn't believe it. I'm driving in this morning ready to use this illustration. I turn it on. I hear the little boy singing. Really amazing. Here's the thing that most people don't know. The little boy is chosen for that part every year just seconds before the service starts. All the boys in the choir are prepared to do it. But just before the service starts on Christmas Eve, one boy is chosen out of all the others to sing the start of that song all alone. And man, don't you know, that has to be a huge deal for that little boy to be tapped on the shoulder right before and you know the biggest service of the year, you will be singing the biggest part. Can you just imagine the nerves, man? And, and instantly so excited at the same time, all kinds of emotions. That was maybe this angel here. The only one chosen for this monumental once in an eternity opportunity 
to announce the birth of God's only Son. And this angel now appears to these shepherds. Verse 9 says, The glory of God shone around them. The very radiance or the very splendor of God Himself. You go from pitch black to the very radiance of God Himself. Blinding these shepherds, I would imagine. And verse 9 says they were filled with great fear. <laughs> no, duh. You know, that, that, that's the proper reaction when, when, when sinful men and women are all of a sudden in the presence somehow of God Himself. The, the, the Greek there is literally, they, they feared a great fear. These the shepherds were absolutely terrified. But man... Shockingly, they then learn very quickly that this angel has not come to harm them, but to give them joy, to give them peace. Now, that's the first part of this passage, this, this appearance of the angel. The second part is the announcement. If you look at verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, <laughs> I bring you good news of great joy. And you know the, the Greek word there translated as, I bring you good news. It could also be translated as, I bring you gospel. <laughs> and what we have right there in Luke 2, that is the first New Testament instance of gospel preaching. And the preacher here is a radiant angel. <laughs> you get me. <laughs> Congratulations. This angel is now declaring gospel, good news to, to the shepherds. I am here, shepherds, to gospel you. I'm here to proclaim really good news, good news of great joy to you, the angel says. Some of the most joyful news this world has ever heard. You have probably heard some joyful noise at some point, or some joyful news at some point in, in your life. Uh, you, you may have gotten the news that you, you got the job you were looking for. Uh, or or you, you received the news that you made it into to grad school. Or you receive the news maybe that, that you were going to have your first child and that news brings you joy. That's not even close to the joy of this news. This is some of the most joyful news the entire planet has ever heard. And this good news here, the angel says, is for all people. You know, when, when you received your good news... Uh, ab about your your job or your grad school or the good news that you were going to have a little baby. Well, well, that good news was primarily joyful to you and, and to your family. But this angel is saying that this news will be good news, will be, bring joy to all people. Not just joyful for the rich and powerful, but also for the poor and powerless. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And you know what? That's really what Christmas is all about. Christmas is ultimately all about good news. The good gospel news that a child was born. That is Christmas. 
You know, if you ask people on the street, what, what is Christmas all about? What's the meaning of Christmas? What's the heart of Christmas? You will get all kinds of answers, some of them a little different. Here, here's just a taste. What is Christmas all about? Well, Edna Ferber, 1900s novelist, said this. She said, Christmas, it isn't a season. It's a feeling. Whatever that might mean. Or Freya Stark, British explorer, said this, Christmas is not an external event at all, but it's a piece of one's home that one carries in one's heart. Or Mo Rocca or Roca, American journalist, Christmas is a stocking stuffed with sugary sweetness. Uh, my kids, I think, um, consider Christmas to be that to some degree. Uh, Or, for some of you, this anonymous quote might hit a little closer to home. Christmas is a magical time of year. I just watched all my money magically disappear. And you know how that goes. You know, some people, however, they do come to realize that Christmas might mean a little more than those types of things. One of my favorite philosophers finally realized that Christmas meant a little bit more. The Grinch. Here it is. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And the Grinch was right. Uh, Christmas does mean a little bit more. What is Christmas all about? The very heart of Christmas... There it is in Luke 2, in just a few simple words. Christmas is all about good news of great joy for all people. Christmas is the good news gospel message that a child was born. That's what the angel says. Look at verse 10. Fear not, shepherds, for behold, I bring you good news of Great joy that will be for all the people. What is this good news for all people? Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that right there, in that one verse, verse 11, that right there is the birth announcement for God's only Son. It's not the type of birth announcement that we we might be accustomed to. If you think about the birth announcement you might send out to people, well, how does it go? Well, well, you, you, you say on there, well, here's this new baby born to my wife and me. Uh, born to Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, the most gorgeous baby on the planet. Uh, That's how your birth announcement goes. I know I've received all your birth announcements. We have them. That's what they say. Uh, But what does this announcement say? For unto you is born this day. Unto you, shepherds. Unto you. All people unto you, and you, and you, and you, and you, a baby was born. Isaiah 9, 6 says it like this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And who is the baby? 
who is this baby born to us? Well, the angel gives us quickly three simple titles for this infant. If you look at verse 11 again, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three titles there. One, this baby is Christ. It means the anointed one. The Messiah, it comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed one. Messiah, that's the Christ. And man, it is a mind-blowing thing here for this angel to say to these shepherds, this baby is the Christ, the Messiah. You know why? Because they had waited hundreds of years for the Christ. For the Messiah. God, God has given countless promises over hundreds of years saying to the Jews repeatedly that He would one day send His Messiah to Israel. We've looked at several of them. Genesis 3, God, God said He'd send a future seed of the woman to crush that of the serpent. Genesis 22, God would send a lamb for a sacrifice. Isaiah 40, God would send a shepherd king. All these promises about this future Christ or Messiah. And the Jews had waited. They had waited for this Messiah for hundreds of years. And nothing, nothing, until one night, A very silent night on a hillside just outside of Bethlehem. A group of shepherds, they hear the words, Unto you is born the Christ, the Messiah you've been waiting for. It's one title. Second one the angel gives here. The angel says this baby is Christ the Lord. The Greek word there is the word kyrios, Lord, meaning Lord or Master. And listen, you stop and think about this word kyrios, which we find in the Greek New Testament. Man, there's something staggering about the use of that word kyrios in the Greek New Testament. Whenever New Testament writers who wrote in Greek, whenever they wanted to quote in the New Testament a verse from the Hebrew Old Testament, if that Hebrew Old Testament verse contained the name Yahweh, the name for God Himself, do you know what Greek word the New Testament writers would use for that Hebrew name Yahweh? Well, they would use the word kyrios, Lord or Master. When, when, when this angel here says to these shepherds that this baby is the Lord, he is the kyrios, he's saying that this baby is none other than Yahweh Himself, than, 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 than God. Sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. This baby is the second person of the Trinity. God the Son in human flesh. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. The one and only God-man. This baby is the Christ. He's also the Lord. And the last title here, the angel says, For unto you is born this day a Savior. Do you realize realize that 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 right there is why God told Joseph and Mary to give their baby boy the name Jesus? Because Jesus means Savior. 
It's the Greek word Iesus, and it comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means salvation or, or Savior. This baby will be a Savior, so call his name Jesus, which means Savior. And you know, a lot of Jews at this time, they thought the Messiah would be a Savior, but a lot of Jews thought the Messiah would save only the Jews from the tyranny of the Romans. But, but Jesus wasn't here to save just the Jews, but to save people from all over the world, a Savior for all people, for all types of people. And Jesus didn't come just to save people from the Romans, but to save people from their own sin. Matthew one twenty one. It's a it's a it's it's a piece of the story that comes a little bit before the birth of Jesus. An angel appears to Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and the angel says this to Joseph. Matthew one twenty one. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to, to, to live and die for sinners in order that every sinner who now turns away from sin and clings to him in faith might be saved from sin. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And there it is. That's Christmas. It's not just the birth of a child. That's a beautiful thing. But lots of children are born at Christmas time. No, it's the birth of this child, this one child, the only child. And the angel appeared and said, This child would be the Savior, Christ the Lord. That's the second thing in the passage. First, the appearance, then, this announcement. And the third and final thing here, and it's just so fitting after everything that's come already, the adoration, the praise now of God from a multitude of angels. This one angel here, he now gives these shepherds uh, a sign so they'll be able to find this particular baby uh, in Bethlehem. If you look again at verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You kind of stop and, and step back. You think about Bethlehem at this time. We don't know exactly how big it was. It wasn't big, but there probably were some other Christmas babies born around this time of year. But the shepherds now know that there will only be one baby lying in a manger, an actual feeding trough for animals. In some barn in Bethlehem, probably a cave. You find a baby in a barn, shepherds, and that's him. It's crazy when you think about it. It's just crazy. That baby, according to the Bible, is the one true God. He's the eternal Son of God in, in human flesh. As the Nicene Creed says, He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Through Him, all things were made. And He's lying in a feeding trough in a barn. And that 
is the very picture of humility. Philippians 2 says that when Jesus was born, He took on the form of a servant. You would expect God's Son to take on the form of a regal king, man, standing in the palace in Jerusalem. Poof! There He is. Bow down and worship Him. But no, He didn't. He took the form of a servant, a, a, a baby, a very poor baby. It was a poor family. It was a very poor teenage mother. It was a very poor bed. This was not woodwinds. The one who was in the highest place in the universe had humbled himself. Isn't it amazing to think that our God humbles himself? Isn't it amazing? And then he turns around and says, that's the way into the kingdom of heaven, that you would humble yourself. Not that you would try to raise yourself up and somehow attain unto heaven, but that you would go low and ask God for mercy and enter heaven. You humble yourself. The one who is in the highest place, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, had humbled himself to one of the lowest places on earth, a baby in a manger. Richard Clerk, he wrote this. God has in every birth His admirable work. But God to be a child... God in a woman's womb, that is the miracle of miracles. The great God to be a little babe. The ancient of days to become an infant. The king of eternity to be two or three months old. The almighty Jehovah to be a weak man. God immeasurably great whom heaven and earth cannot contain to be a babe in a span long. He that rules the stars to nurse. The founder of the heavens rocked in a cradle. The swayer of the world swathed in infant bands. It is, a Greek father says, a most incredible thing. The earth wondered at Christ's nativity to see a new star in heaven. But heaven might rather wonder to see a new sun on earth. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the final book of the series, the, the Last Battle. If you've not read that to your children, read it to your children sometimes. It's a lot of fun to read. The last book of the series. Uh, take it down for a second, if you will. I always know when it's up there. I can see it on your faces. Hold off. Let me set it up. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. The last book in, in the series, The Last Battle. Lucy Now Queen Lucy, along with a few other characters, she is forced into what looks from the outside to be a very small stable. But once they get on the inside, the stable looks different and the conversation goes like this. It seems then, said Tyrion, smiling himself, that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Yes, said the Lord Diggory, its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. It was the first time she had spoken, and from the thrill in her voice, Tyrion now knew why. She was drinking everything in even more deeply than the other. She had been too happy to speak. And there it is in Luke chapter 2. 
A stable that might have looked very small from the outside, but inside that stable things looked different. And you had something inside that stable that was bigger than our whole world. God Himself contracted to a span without losing any of His deity. A huge mystery how that all worked out. St. Augustine talking about this mystery of the Incarnation. He said, I see the depths, but I cannot see the bottom. So this angel has now given these shepherds a sign. They'll be able to find this baby in Bethlehem. And all of a sudden now, it's as if all of a heaven explodes with joy, with adoration, praise for what God has just done. If you look at verse 13 again, and And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Just picture that. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He, being God, is pleased. Suddenly now, this multitude, it says, of the heavenly host. You may have read that in other places in your Bible, the heavenly host, and you think, what is that exactly? Do you know the, the, the Greek word there for host? It literally means army. When you read that word host in your Bible, the Lord of hosts, it is literally saying the Lord of armies. We now have a multitude of God's heavenly army. The, this massive battalion of angelic soldiers. And listen, at other places in the Bible where this heavenly host shows up, do you know what the heavenly host is typically there to do? To declare war. To fight for God and to fight for God's people. But shockingly, this angelic army here declares peace. Just praising God. A thousand, ten thousand, a million, we don't know. Angelic soldiers probably shouting glory to God in the highest. Maybe astounded by what God had done. Glory to God in the highest. We sing it every Christmas. Here it is. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And these, these angels here, these, these angelic soldiers, then declare peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This baby here will somehow bring peace to this troubled, chaotic planet. And man, 2,000 years now after this baby was born, you can look at what's going on in the world now and say, peace on earth? Where? There's nothing but conflict. War. Things getting worse, not better. It seems like there's less peace, not more peace. Who is this baby who's supposedly bringing peace? But, but here's the thing. Jesus didn't come the first time to bring some sort of political peace. 
He didn't come to bring some sort of international peace. He didn't come to bring a peace between nations. Jesus actually said, I come to bring a sword and not peace. I come to set father against son and mother against daughter. I come to set believers against unbelievers, unbelievers against believers. He came, Jesus, he came to bring conflict in some way. Not this international peace instantly. Not in his first coming, no. No, Jesus came the first time to make peace between God and man. Because of our sin, the Bible says that there's now an enmity. Please hear me on this. Because of your sin, there is now an enmity, a natural hostility between you and God, the Bible says. No peace between you and God in your natural condition. But Jesus came to make peace between God and man. He took our sin upon Himself and paid the penalty for that sin in order that we, the sinners, might then be reconciled back to God. In order that we might receive a new and lasting peace from God. No more hostility between God and us. No more enmity, but a peace now between God and man. The one and only God-man came to bring peace between God and man. Here's the peace that Jesus came to bring in His first advent. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Or Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Colossians 1.19 For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You know, the peace that Jesus came to bring. It's, an, it's, another, it's another song that we sing at, at Christmas time. Hark the herald angel says, Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That is the Christmas peace. The peace of Christ's first advent. Jesus came to give sinners like you and like me peace with God. And, and here's the great thing about Jesus though. There will someday be a second advent or arrival of Christ on earth. The Bible says that Jesus will come back again. A second and final time. And Jesus will then make a complete peace on earth. Then it won't just be peace between God and man. Then it will also be a perfect peace between man and man. A perfect peace between all of God's people. All hostility, chaos, conflict, gone. A complete and eternal peace. And that's Christmas' a celebration of the peace that Christ came to bring. That's what we're celebrating today. That's our fourth Advent candle. It represents peace. What did He come to do? He came to make peace between God and man. Please hear me though when I say this. This peace that Jesus came to give to human beings, this amazing peace of reconciliation between God and man that Jesus came to give to people, please, please hear this. Not every 
human being will experience that peace. Not every human being will experience that peace. No, these angels here, when they mention this peace on earth, they make a very important statement there. If you look at verse 14 again, the angels say this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. Some translations say, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But the best translation of the original Greek is there on the screen. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. So this peace Jesus came to bring, this, this reconciliation peace between God and man, well that peace is experienced only by those people with whom God is pleased. And who are these people with whom God is pleased? Who are these people who will experience this peace of Christ? Well, contrary to popular belief, it's not just the good people of this earth. It's not just that you live a moral life and all of a sudden God's going to bless you with His peace. That is not the way it works. God doesn't bless you with the peace of Christ just because you go to church services. He doesn't bless you with the peace of Christ just because you carry a Bible. He doesn't bless you with the peace of Christ just because you were baptized. No, why does God bless you with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ? One reason and one reason only, and it is faith. Only those people who have a genuine living faith in Christ, only those people who have a true faith in in Christ will experience this peace. You see, you have to please God in order to, to, to receive this peace. Well, how do you please God? It's only through faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The only way you can ultimately please God and therefore experience this peace of Christ is faith. God is only pleased with those who place their faith in Christ. Cling to Christ in faith. Seek to obey Christ in faith. Seek to follow Christ in faith. In faith, John Piper, in one of his Advent devotions, Pastor Thomas pointed it to me a few weeks ago. John Piper says this, There is a somber note sounded in the angel's praise. Peace among those with whom God is pleased. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, Christmas does not bring peace to all. The key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's peace is faith. Everyone from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation who would believe those and only those are the people who experience the true and lasting peace of Christ in this life and in the next. But listen, if you do have a genuine faith in Christ today, please hear me on this. God is pleased with you. God is infinitely pleased with you because of Christ. 
at the baptism of Jesus, the Father said over Jesus, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And if you are truly connected to Christ by faith, then the Father looks at you and says, simply because of Christ, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And you, now that the Father is pleased with you through faith in Christ, you have now received an eternal peace that will never, ever, ever come to an end. will just get better and better as the days progress, as Jesus returns. So let me end with this today. Do you know this peace of Christ? Do you know it? I've gone through so many Christmases where they talk about the peace of Christ. Do you truly know the peace of Christ? You have a living, breathing faith in Him. Seeking to follow Him with your life. Seeking to obey Him. Man, there are two types of people here today. Those who truly have a peace in Christ and those who don't. What about you? It's available to you. The worst of the worst. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Bottom of the barrel of sinners. The lowest of the low of sinners. Jesus came and died for sinners. He loves and pursues broken sinners. Man, this peace is for you and all it takes is faith. I'll end with this. You know that Christmas carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem? Well, there's a line in that carol that goes like this. Where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. You turn to Christ in a meek, broken-hearted faith. And Christ will enter in and give you a lasting peace. Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. Father, we thank you for the peace of Christ. We thank you, Father, that when Jesus was born, the peace child was here. We thank you, Lord. Your scriptures prophesied that the prince of peace would someday come. And in the birth of Christ, the Prince of Peace was here. Father, I pray you would not let us go through one more Christmas hearing the good news about this child of peace, but not really knowing this child of peace in our hearts. Father, I ask now that you would give faith throughout this this room. Faith, faith to truly grasp Christ, to truly cling to Him for mercy, to truly follow Him in faith. Father, open our hearts so that we might know this Christ of peace forever. In Jesus' name, amen.